0: Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 251... Nicole Dyson, founder of Future Anything, explains how they are working to transform young people's passion and curiosity into innovative ideas that make their world a better place. Motivated to make education engaging and with real-world relevance, Nicole utilised her teaching background to develop in-curriculum programs that empower educators to embed 21st century skills and build entrepreneurial mindsets in classrooms across Australia. This is Nicole's version of Be the Drop recorded live at Southstar. This episode was recorded live at Southstar in Adelaide. I've included a link in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about Southstar. So, Nick, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you for our next episode of Be The Drop.
1: Oh, thank you for the invitation. Stoked to be involved.
0: And we're sitting outside at South Start at the gorgeous wine centre. We do have a little bit of lawnmower background. We do. We've decided that adds to the RPR. It does,
1: absolutely. <laughs> a little bit of atmosphere in the background, yeah, but uh, botanic yeah. garden feel, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. So we're just providing that and making sure the listeners get the full experience. I agree. And and occasionally there's actually also some construction going on, so we get that too. So I think it's
1: just authenticity right
0: that's right now to get us started and for listeners to understand a bit more about you I'd love it if you could share a story with us something that stands out in this journey of yours and where it's brought you to now
1: Okay. So I was the eldest of five kids. And so if you're an eldest child, you'll know what I mean when I say that like all of your parents' hopes and dreams rest on your shoulders, as opposed to the youngest. Um, <laughs> when I finished school, like my parents sort of really pushed that traditional pathway on me, like go to school, be the good student, go to university, get the degree. At that point in time, nobody in my family had gotten a university degree. So it was, it was quite a big part of my growing up experience was really pushing the academics and the opportunity that started would offer but i kind of finished school and i was i just didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and i tried a couple of different degrees and i ended up doing what most young people do when they're a little bit lost and confused is i packed a bag and i went overseas for a few years And um, I went traveling with my best friend at the time and I spent some time in America and then we moved to London. And whilst within a couple of months of moving to London, maybe even a month, um, my friend had to go back home for a family reason. And my grandmother came over to visit me and it was a few weeks before my birthday leading into my birthday's in December. So it was like right before that holiday period. So you're starting to, I think, feel that homesickness. And of course, if you've been to London, it's a dreary, miserable place. And my grandmother came to visit me and I remember this one day I'd taken her to And while she was having a look around, my friend who'd gone back to Australia rang me. And um, she was really short on the phone and she kind of said, look, I'm not coming back to London. You're on your own. And I remember sitting there and thinking, well, maybe I'll just go home with my grandmother when she goes back to Australia. And she walked over and she said, what's wrong? And I was quite upset. And she kind of went, right, yeah, okay," and then walked off. And she wandered back about 10 minutes later and kind of just shoved a Harrods bag in front of me. And I went, what is this? And she said, just open it. Then it was like an iPod, which, you know, for those playing at home, (laughs) it was this uh, like device that used to play music before phones (laughs) could do it. And she said, this is your something good. And I went, pardon? And she said, sometimes you've just got to remember that there's something good just around the corner. So this is today's something good. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: and I think I, it's kind of a message that I still have the iPod mm-hmm. and it's kind of a message that's always stayed with me. I think when there's been challenges in starting your own business or you know in your personal life and I've always kind of just waited for the something good that's around the corner and inevitably if you're patient enough there is like you know whether you believe in things happening for a reason or whatnot often there is that glimmer of gold that comes out of those experiences of hardship or challenge
0: yeah oh my gosh I was getting a bit teary <laughs> thank you for sharing that story and I, and I love the message that you're taking from it and how you use that and you've brought that with you and so then now coming back around you're back in Brisbane mm. back getting your solar charge yeah yeah uh, um, and you're working with youth Where did that string Mm. come in and you're working with youth and encouraging entrepreneurship Mm. and your program has been aligned with the education department, Mm. which is, you know, hard. So well done you. So tell us a bit more about that. Mm.
1: So when I was living and working overseas, I was swimming coaching. Um, I'd been a swimmer as a kid and it was that experience of working with young people, particularly around that sort of 14 to 16-year-old age group. And I just loved seeing kids do something that they didn't think they could do. Like when they say, I can't do that, and then watch them do it anyway. And I just got this thrill out of enabling young people to do something. So I wondered whether teaching might be something that I wanted to do. And I came back and I was like the mature-aged university student with all of the really enthusiastic 17-year-olds that asked 500 questions in the lectures. And I bumbled my way through a teaching degree and then landed at my first job which was in Caboolture. And for anybody familiar with Queensland, it's a an interesting space to have your first teaching job. There's um, low socioeconomic sort of background and area, young people who've got like a multi-generational dependency on welfare. Education didn't do much for their parents and they certainly don't have an investment in education at the time when I was teaching in the region. And I kind of walked in with all of these like visions about the impact that I was going to make at the front of the classroom and just came home and cried because <laughs> it was really hard. And they didn't care how aspirational I wanted to be at the end of the day they were just super disengaged with what education was and for me that I guess that brought me back to why are we doing what we're doing you know if we've got young people that can't read and write when they're in grade nine and grade 10 why am I trying to get them to write an analytical essay about the theme from a novel that they've never read it just seemed so pointless Mm -hmm. and also when in your adult life have you been asked to under exam conditions write an analytical essay about a theme from Shakespeare like never
0: don't get me started on how English is taught at school. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and look, as an English teacher, I love English, but I think we break young people. You know, literature should be like something that young people should enjoy and get joy out of. But instead we stand at the front of the room and we give them content and then we ask them to kind of absorb this content and then regurgitate it back to us in the same order that we gave it to them. Mm, and, and they're it,
0: marked on a right and wrong answer.
1: Correct, and there's no, there is no right or wrong. It's all interpretation. So I think I just quickly realised that... Young people weren't disengaged with learning, they were disengaged with what we were teaching. And that was because at no point in that exploration of curriculum were we providing them with a why around what we were teaching, why was it important? As adults, we ask it all the time, why should I do this? And if there isn't a good reason, you don't do it. And so I think for me, I started looking at, well, how can we sort of shift the curriculum so that we provide that why for young people and really make it explicit, the link between the learning and real life? Because when young people can see why the content matters, They'll tap into it even if they hate it. They don't have to love the algebra, but if they can see a purpose for the application of that content, then, then they're happier to engage with it. And so entrepreneurship ended up just being a vehicle for that. You know, if we take a curriculum block, like the first unit I ever wrote was an English unit. It was a year nine English unit. And the students had to look at indigenous representations in text. And the original task was to deliver a monologue. And instead what we did is we used the indigenous representations in text as a stimulus to look at the marginalized voice. And who are marginalized peoples in our community? And then instead of just asking them to tell me about what they knew, I asked them to design their own social enterprise that closed the gap for a marginalized group of choice um, and pitch it. So still a spoken task at the end, still did all the close textual analysis that we needed to from a curriculum point of view. But the route of getting there was entirely different and it was really hands on and it linked to the real world.
0: Ah, see, I want that education for my children. <laughs> this, and why wouldn't we expect that youth? want to learn in the way as adults that we do. I mean, the Simon Sinek why and the golden circle of why is such a massive thing. And I think, and the number of business guests that I've had that have referenced the mm. importance of why and purpose and understanding that mm. to be successful in business. Yeah. So how do you go through that process of changing? And, you know, there's conversation now about looking at the education curriculum. Yeah. How do we get real change in there? Because it's still based around the industrial age, you know, it is. style of education. Yeah,
1: it very much is. And look, I think the important thing to point out is, teachers know this, right? Like when you asked the question, we had the Bright Ideas Summit yesterday, 300 people in the room. And I said, who's ever sat in a classroom and thought in their head, why are we doing this? And, you know, most of the young people in the room put their hand up and I said, teachers, you can also raise your hand if you've thought it as well. And of course, they put up their hand. Teachers know that the curriculum they're delivering is not preparing young people for the future of work because it's so radically different to what it was, you know, when we were growing up or when our parents were growing up. But- At the same time, teachers aren't being provided with the space, the skills and the support to either develop and deliver the type of learning that young people are craving today. And so, you know, from the top down, we're saying do it different, but we're actually from the ground up, not building those capacities of our educators. So for us, it was really about like three phases of the program. One was professional learning for educators so that they actually understood that inquiry based or that project based pedagogy and what that looked like in the classroom and the nature of design thinking and entrepreneurship and how to facilitate that creativity and divergent thinking within the young people in their classroom. So PD was paramount because if you've got confident teachers, you're going to have comfortable students. And the second element was developing the fully resourced curriculum so that they don't have to spend time outside of the classroom building the resources. We're going to provide it for them with really great real-world, up-to-date case studies and fantastic examples that are based on research because entrepreneurship and enterprise isn't, you know, their first language. So let's actually do the work around creating a, an engaging curriculum for them. And then thirdly, you know, we build these great curriculum opportunities for young people in the classroom, but if you've got, like, really amazing kids that have cool ideas, what do you do with them after you've assessed it? And so for us, it was about those post-program opportunities for young people that were really passionate about their ideas to take them somewhere. Because the teachers are moving on to the next curriculum block and they don't necessarily have the space or the skills to do that for those teams. So we provide that post-program national competition. And then last year we launched YouthX, which is Australia's first accelerated program for school-aged entrepreneurs. So we're creating pathways for those kids after the program.
0: And it's just, it's exciting. To me, it's exciting to go, well, we've got a new generation. We've got youth. What ideas can they have? How can we tap into it? Because it's easy to write off youth, you know. And look, hey, we were all young and it's very centre-focused. I get it, you know. I'm so
1: glad there wasn't social media when I was growing up. (laughs) Don't know how many
0: times I've said that. (laughs) (laughs) Very glad. Yeah, You know, so there's a whole range of challenges but opportunities and it's exciting to Mm. see that. So what are some of the the cool ideas that these kids are coming up with, the youth are coming up with?
1: Do you know what, like we get... Everything. So like this year we've got 4,000 students in the program and young people, they can work by themselves or they can work in teams but what we ask them to do is to consider their lived experiences and the things that they care about and catalyse those two things together to identify a problem that matters to them because the greatest changemakers that we see or entrepreneurs are able to fuse like the stuff they know with the stuff they care about and we don't want a generation of like heropreneurs, like white saviours that walk into developing countries because they think they can fix societies they know nothing about. We want our young people to go back to what they know and actually catalyse those experiences in a powerful way to create change. So, I mean, we get young people, last year's winner were a group of uh, three boys from the Sunshine Coast called Aqua Shield, and they had used electromagnetic technology to develop alternatives to shark nets that would actually deter sharks from beaches rather than having to use nets because they grew up on the coast and they were just really upset about the amount of like sea life that was getting caught up in the nets unnecessarily. So that was what they developed as a prototype. The year before that, we had three young people from the Ipswich Corridor and Polynesian young people who were really astounded by the statistic that domestic violence affects their communities significantly more than it affects a lot of other populations. And they had seen that within you know their extended community. So one of the students was quite artistic and they developed a line of hoodies with the profits going to support domestic violence initiatives so that people could get help. The year before that, we had a, a winner, Tanika, who was also from the Ipswich Corridor and she had suffered from bullying as a young person and she developed this line of socks that look like school socks above the surface of the shoe so they've got you know how schools like you need to have white socks like yeah. above the shoe so they were white above the surface of the shoe but underneath the shoe line she'd partnered with Molga who does like a lot of the work for 711 like all the cool graphics for 711 and she had these like funky patterns underneath the shoe and the premise for her socks is you don't know what's underneath the surface of a young person and a portion of her profits went to kids helpline so that young people could get access to the support that they need So everything from apparel all the way through to tech. Yesterday we had Noah, who's South Australian based and he runs Sticky Pronk. And he realized that most surf waxes contain petrochemicals. In fact, they used to be sold at petrol stores, like because of the nature of the ingredients that were in them. (laughs) So at 12, he started making his own surf wax. And so he's part of our YouthX program. We've worked with him for the last two years. So he went from having one blend. He's now got three in the market. He sold over 2000 blocks. He's got, I think, 40 stockists around the country and he sent his wax overseas. And so, you know, just a simple idea, right? Like he surfs every day. He's a passionate surfer and he was just horrified to know that the stuff he was putting on his board was potentially killing the stuff that he that mattered most to him. And from there he just started in the kitchen, like bless his mum, <laughs> just mixing wax.
0: <laughs> what great stories. I'm all like, oh, oh, I'm gonna go and buy wax and socks and he's yeah. Like I mean, incredible stories. Great. And you know, so good and I I imagine from from the perspective of the youth that are participating in Mm. those programs, so empowering, Mm. you know, to be heard and to be listened to and to be treated, Mm. you know as a respected person with ideas and impact to make impact what an incredible experience so you've got the curriculum is it just in Queensland though
1: we also have a bunch of schools in South Australia and also in New South Wales we run the program in English we run the program in science we have a STEM program we have two business streams as well next year we're rolling out a health stream so that it can be run in health and physical education and also a sports tech stream as well and we're also looking at agri-tech as another space to build curriculum around too so yeah, around the country nationally. But, you know, our big hubs are definitely Queensland and, and South Australia, which is doing some incredible innovative work around not only curriculum development, but also like entrepreneurship in the space as well.
0: Yeah. And so if people are listening and they, they're they like, oh, I want to try and get that involved in, at my school, how, how does that happen? What's involved in that?
1: So for most high schools, the key contact for us would be like the curriculum HOD, the head of department. So I guess just feel free to reach out to us and then sneak us the head of department's contact details and we can give them a friendly phone call and a nudge and tell them how great it would be if their young people were involved in our program. And I think, you know, one of the important things is that, like, whilst we develop some epic enterprises at the back end of the program, really what we're talking about here is building a generation of young people that can identify problems and solve them. And so regardless of the curriculum area that it's being run in, it's so important for schools to be building those capacities in their young people, even if they don't care about entrepreneurship. It's about that entrepreneurial mindset, thinking like an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, and problem solving, and because the world is changing, and bringing those skills that we need, the futuristic. Yeah, I mean, I have heard the word lots. Future proofing. Yeah, (laughs) it's so important. It's so critical because the youth are that that future. So, for you, what has been the most rewarding part of this process? Look, I still think it
1: comes back to why I got into education, why I got into swimming coaching, and now why I run Future Anything it's seeing a young person get up on stage and pitch an idea that they care about and then get back off the stage and go I didn't think I could do that you know and as adults I think we've got a responsibility to shake young people and show them the potential that's within you know within them and so I think programs like this have the opportunity to radically shift how young people perceive their own potential and that's really exciting.
0: Yeah well at one point we all were young people and imagine if you know, there was people around us taking that opportunity and some of us had that, mm. you know, had the ability to have those people to go, you've got potential. But once we start adding it into the education curriculum, even those who may not in their personal life have those those around them to say you have potential, it's within the education system, which for me I think is so critical and so important.
1: It genuinely is because otherwise what we get is these like bolt-on programs that sit on the outside of the curriculum but often only cater to the privileged few. If we don't embed it within curriculum, it means that we're only pandering to either those who think they want to get involved in entrepreneurship or those that teachers select to be involved. Like, we need to make sure that we're giving all young people a crack at this so that they can work out whether it's something that they love but that we're also building those key capacities around problem-solving, critical thinking, digital literacy, presentation skills, collaboration. Like, these are the skills of the future.
0: Yeah, the presentation skills. Like, why are we not teaching them in mainstream education? Yeah, and I think... And then go and have a job interview and just know how to talk. Exactly. (laughs) Well,
1: I think we, and maybe we do it wrong by calling them presentation skills, right? Because it makes it seem like it's standing up with a script, but really what we're talking about is confident communication. Like how are we not empowering young people to feel capable of sharing something that matters to them to somebody else
0: yeah or effective communication yeah, yeah yeah absolutely well Nick thank you so much I'm really excited I'm going to look into the program I think it's fabulous in conclusion though can you share with me your be the drop tip so your be the drop tip is around how do we connect to motivate and inspire and create waterfalls do you know what I think
1: it is it's like the next time you see a young person and you're around them like ask them what matters to them Like, I think that's the impact point It's just and, you know, whether it's young people or old people, rather than saying, like, what do you do? Like, let's reframe that question around, like, what do you care about? And I think that's where we build true connection.
0: I love that. What do you care about? What matters? Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop.